Welcome to Channel Waves, the podcast where channel leaders share success strategies, best practices, and emerging trends. Brought to you by Structured Web. Here's your host, Stephen Kellum. Welcome, everyone, to Channel Waves, Structured Web View and Everything Channel. I'm your host, Stephen Kellum. And today we're going to dig into partnerships and how you can get the most out of your partners in demand generation and revenue generation. Everything is important to you in H2. And I'm joined by Diane Krakor, who is the CEO and founder of PartnerPath. Welcome, Diane. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. One of the reasons I'm excited to have Diane, one is, gosh, we've known each other quite some time. And I have a lot of respect for what Diane has done and the knowledge that she has in the channel, particularly about partnerships. And one of the reasons I asked Diane to join, well, actually, there are two reasons, to be totally transparent. One is she talks to people in the marketing circle. She talked to people in channel sales circle, and she talked to people in the channel teach circle. Last time I checked, that's a pretty broad and comprehensive perspective, right? Yeah, so it's it's really fun to be able to talk across um, all the different discourses within the partner ecosystem to be able to see how they all come together to support support and grow uh, ecosystems, particularly in 2023, which takes a village, that's for sure. It does. And the second reason is because, look, I live in a lot of the tech stack. Uh, you know, I've done the MDF, I've done the incentives, we've done all that. Now we're in the market automation tech stack. And Diane, I think this is absolutely true. No matter how good your technology and how good your stack is, and we can, we're going to talk about that and talk about integrations. If your programs aren't done well, and if it isn't lined up and you don't have your go-to-market strategy for all that together, then you sort of automate for automate sake. And I, I don't think that really makes things successful and you kind of end up with a, I think, selling everything short that way. Yeah. And I think that'll certainly be one of our five key partner program challenges or the the one of the outcomes or the answers to one of the five key program challenges that we're seeing this year. It's certainly a, it's a new world order um, in 2023. So I, I think there's some some aspect of uh, automation uh, that is definitely growing as well as uh, refining and really getting specific around what are you trying to do with the partner program? Sure. So look, why don't we start with demand generation? It's something near and dear to my heart. Oh, and by the way, listeners, we're going to talk about the challenges, but Diane and I were talking about this before. There's a lot of opportunities around that. Every time there's a challenge, somebody is going to figure out how to make it work. And they're basically going to have a competitive advantage. Yes. I mean, absolutely. Um, and certainly, so I think in one of the five is is demand generation, which uh, right now we are seeing uh, so many people kind of freaking out about pipeline um, and running to partners and saying, well, we need more pipeline. We need our partners to generate more pipeline. Like the whole world is, is in a pipeline crunch right now. And, and we're kind of seeing this entire body left and do we need our partners to, to, to do more marketing or do more demand generation or, or get more partners that can do demand generation and and really drive that pipeline so certainly i think those are the realities of 20 uh, mid, mid-year 2023 right and uh, you know and the question is kinds of partners do demand generation for you as a vendor and will they well so what? So what? So what's the answer? Look, I have my opinion. I, people want. I, I think people want to hear your opinion. I think certain partners can do demand generation. 
I think certain partners are going to be challenged, which is why there's two through and four partner marketing, right? And I think the problem I'm seeing is I think there's some confusion on where to use two, where to use through, and where to use four. And even more importantly, in which individual segments to go after that, right? The small, the medium, and the large. Um, and and, and I, th I think that's really the challenge. And I see people flip-flopping around a lot. Yeah, and it's certainly not one size fits all in terms of can partners do demand generation or will they? I mean, certainly they can, else they wouldn't be in business, right? If they didn't, weren't able to generate the demand for at least themselves, they, they wouldn't be in business. But will they do it for or with a, a vendor partner? And it really is, it's really a mixed bag. Some will, um, but and a lot will do more of um, ABM, right, in, in terms of trying to reach um, and and sell more, drive more. So it's. I think the biggest answer here is you can't paint it. You know, use one brush to paint your entire uh, partner ecosystem and say they will or they won't. Some will, some won't. And how do you find the you know, an eight to ten percent that that will and can. Yeah. So so what what is a what's a good way to do that? Have, have you run across someone who's doing a very good job of segmenting their partners and how they segment their partners and how they build um, build those segmentations? I mean, one way that we see is successful here is just allowing partners to opt in, right? And saying, hey, we have uh, marketing campaigns for you. We have uh, marketing automation tools to help you guys be successful. And 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 through the, those communications, allow them to sign up and, and opt in. And instead of expecting hundred percent of participation we just need to start expecting 10 percent participation and thinking that's great instead of it has to be you know uh, every partner in our ecosystem uh, adopting and leveraging our marketing so it, it might align to some of their business models but it might not align to other business models so again we can't think everything we just have a hand we can't think everything as a nail right there's 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 definitely um, a whole bunch of different types of partners in your ecosystem with different business models and different priorities, quite frankly, even in, in this quarter. Sure. Um, okay, number two on your list was partner contributions. Are partners influencing deals? So so what's going on there? Yeah, the other thing, along with partner uh, ge partners generating demand, the second thing we're saying is a lot of uh, requests and concern around measuring partner contribution. Uh, this, this, this might be our vendors justifying their existence, the, our vendor partner teams justifying their existence. We're seeing some organizations like Workday swing heavily towards partnering and say, oh my God, we haven't partnered in years, we've got to start doing this. And we've seen other organizations like New Relic kind of lay off most of their partnering team and say, oh, this is, this this we're not getting enough contribution from our partners, and we're going to kind of swing the pendulum the other way. So in that kind of uh, divergence, it's, you know, understanding what the partner contribution is, and is it influence, is it assisted, is it resold, is it developed, and and trying to put measurements to that, I think is one of the big challenges that we're seeing for, for partner programs this year. How does the vendor go about that, right? Is there a a process that you bring to that? How do they, you know, how do they create best practices around that, right? Well, the hardest part of measuring con uh, partner contribution is is data, right? Everybody knows I love data. 
but you know, where, what are your systems? What are your tools to be able to collect uh, data in terms of our partners doing marketing, right? That could be uh, an indication of, of contribution that the partners are actually uh, adopting your partner marketing and, and doing marketing and generating leads and registering those leads and like, well, regardless of those close or not, that still are close with that partner could be considered contribution. So the hardest part is getting uh, the data, the data entry, the leads in, the deals registered, the deals closed, um, even assigning like actions, really being able to define are there seven steps or 27 steps in your sales cycle and who's doing what within those. There might be multiple partners, right? So how do you kind of have those capabilities and systems to see what, what actions, what activities partners are doing along the sales and customer success life cycle to be able to then say, you know, kind of measure partner contribution. Well, so that leads, I was going to say that leads into the, your next number three on that, which is customer success and rules, renewals and, and how are partners, you know, managing and, and, uh, uh, working to that, adding contribution there. Yeah. And how are vendors allowing or not allowing partners to contribute there, right? And and are, is the expectation that partners are driving customer success, right? I mean, most of you guys all have subscription models out there. And are you expecting your partners to help the customers adopt and use the solution so that they are renewing it and, and growing? And, and are those customer success motions part of your expectations? And I think that's one of the big challenges that we see in partner programs for this year is that um, we all know that customer success is important, but kind of the, the rigor and even the expectations are not kind of written into your partner programs and your partner program guides that the that we're expecting the partners to play here and and even rewarding them for that in terms of additional deal registration or discount around, around the, that uh, renewal, the renewal motion. But 2023, we need to keep our customers. Not only do we need to find them with new leads, but we need to keep the ones who have. So making sure that you know they're using is important. I was going to ask you about rewarding them for doing that. It makes total sense to me. It also makes sense to me that that is a place I think partners could play really well historically everything I've heard having been a partner a long time ago getting new business or new logos was a hard thing it was always wanting to sell to the existing so if that's part of the DNA of a lot of partners why not just go that extra effort onto the renewal side in that partner success uh, but it is a behavior modification right that changes the program changes what you ask of them and changes most importantly how you reward them Absolutely. And that's why we kind of calling them challenges for this year, because we've, we, we all see that renewal and that adoption is important. We're getting pressures from executives around and, and boards and the street around renewals. But that, that hasn't really made its way into a lot of partner programs around those expectations. Um, so certainly kind of read redesigning and looking at your overall expectations for your partners and the benefits or rewards for them and those and those activities it's really partner programs just come down to what activities do you want partners to do and what are you paying them to do right and or, or where are they getting where that mvf or 
additional discounts or discount off training or something like that. So how are you, how are you setting up that value exchange? Yeah. One of the coolest reward programs I ever had when I was a partner is if I hit 95% customer satisfaction on um, all the implementations, because such a huge part of setting up what the renewal is going to look like, you know, asking for the renewal and trying to be a good partner to a client, you know, 11 months down the road, we are trying to do a renewal versus doing the beginning big thing. It changed our whole organization, how we did uh, onboarding, because let me tell you, the project manager, everyone in that organization knew they wanted to hit that 95% because it had a drastic effect on our profit margins, right? Right. And and it's all about the, the, the metrics that matter these days is adoption and usage and renewal in a subscription model, especially as we start running out our first two and three years. If you sold them for a two-year subscription model, which really isn't a subscription model, but I don't want to go into that now. Um, but when that three years starts to be new, which is now, um, then we this is now not the time to start like making sure that the customer is actually happy with the product and using it because we're 60 days out of renewal. That should have happened a year ago. Oh, no, I totally agree. I mean, someone told me, you know, there's three things that happen on a launch. There's positive, neutral, and negative. And you don't want the other two, right? You only want the positive. It makes a huge difference to, to cross-sell, upsell, even way before you get to renewal, right? Just really change things. So the, the fourth thing on your list kind of ties into that. If partners aren't making it, which partners do you cut from that program? You know, I saw I saw someone, I think this is really hard to do, that had the pre Premier League way of doing it, right? Literally cut the bottom 40%, yeah, 10% every year, right? And, I, and when I first heard that, I was like, well, that sounds really cool. I kind of like the Premier League way they do that, right? For those of you who don't follow soccer, Bottom three teams and then Premier League get sent down to another league. Watch some Ted Lasso, you'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> Either way, at least you enjoy yourself, right? Um, but yeah, look, you know, when do you do that? Why do you do that? Well, I think this is again a, ch a challenge that not not necessarily uh, people have or, or, or have a, a firm pat answer to. Right? The question is, do we cut? And if we cut, how do we cut? Uh, and some, uh, we see very two different camps on this. One is like, absolutely, just like, you know, we're cutting the bottom 10%, right? If you haven't done a transaction in S long, we're, we're you off. Which then brings me back to uh, the conversation of, well, are they doing, are they are they contributing in, other than transactions, right? Are they doing marketing? Are they generating leads? Are they an advisor out there in the world? Are they influencing even though they're not transacting? you know if those partners are whispering into your prospects executive ears and that was the thing that closed the deal even though we they, they didn't show up in your in your pls report back to the 1980s for those oh. our pls report um so i think that the question becomes if you don't have good data on what our partners doing and how are they contributing to your sales and success cycles, then we end up cutting partners that are actually could be influencing and actually driving contribution. So to cut or not to cut um, of this long tail, we used to say, yeah, 80, the 90, 20, 90, 10 rule and like right. lop off everybody else because if they're not doing, you know, we get 
90% of our revenues from 10% of our partners and the rest of them are just, you know, uh, but I think that's changing in, in, in 2023, because we're seeing still many more touch points to the customer's buying journey. And it's more difficult to really measure who is being successful. If we can automate some of those relationships uh, and, and have less of a, of a cost to them, but then there's no harm, no foul having partners out there that aren't, that don't look like they're transacting. Right. So while it's more difficult, I would say it's never been more critical to have that data so that you don't inadvertently cut off someone who is an influencer and maybe you just didn't know it. So well, here's the scenario. I'm going to paint the picture for you because this is how you're going to wrap it up, right? So you need to know more about your partners and how they interact with all the customers. The buying has gotten more diverse and challenging because there are more partners involved because the buyer's journey ha has changed and how they want to buy. And you have to have all of this data so you can really accurately do things, but we're doing more with less people, with less resources. So you got in one hand, I need to do all these great things. And in the other hand, you're like, oh, I don't have as many resources or maybe I'm Maybe it's not that I don't have as many resources. Maybe I'm not getting more resources yet. I'm expected to do, uh, expected to do more. Certainly doing more with lots is a, a topic yet again. And it was also a very hot topic in 2008. Um, and we're seeing uh, either uh, reduced budgets, so we don't have as much money for MDF to be able to do more of that partner demand generation that we talked about is point number one. It's so how do I drive more demand with less MDF budget, right? Or how do I, uh, how do I, you know, do program changes, or do I have to cut partners because we don't have as many people to help address or, or manage those those kind of longer tail partners that may not look like they're contributing. So, so definitely, I I can't imagine there's anybody out there who's not feeling the pressure to do more, to grow more pipeline, to grow more partner sales, to contribute more from the partner ecosystem with, if not the same resources, less resources. We've all, we've seen across the board for the, in the last year, many, many cuts, right? Um, many human resources are kind of a room for change. Still only 3% unemployment out there. So I don't understand, like people are finding jobs pretty quickly. But we have definitely seen in the technology industry, um, there isn't a client we've had in the last year who has not had some version of a reduction in force. So for me, I would say there's two places, and actually I want your answer on this, but my first place is, or third, first thought is there's two places. They have the program side and like how to review it. Every time you say things like the MDF, sorry, I go back to my roots. I'm like, well, you should review your guidelines and you should review what you're operating. You should, you know, MDF is not, you know, I, somebody was saying they had 95% use of MDF and then they looked at it and went, oh, all my partners are just coming to my partner event. They're not actually doing demand generation. They're actually driving demand. They're, right. not, they're not doing anything. Yeah, but they're not actually driving demand. That is a very, very different thing. I was like, maybe you should review that and then you should look at your two partner marketing and, 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 and by the way, and if your guidelines read like you hate your partner, 
maybe you should change your font. I mean, I'm serious. Little, little it, stuff matters. The other side is the technology piece to it. And I know you live in the programs world. I live in the technology world. I technology world can't do well without your programs. And I think your programs need technology like never before, but not like hodgepodge together, right? I'm still seeing a lot of hodgepodge on stuff, which makes it really hard to get good data. But I mean, in, in a more or less world, you have to go to automation. You have to go and leverage technologies. The investment that you, that you all make in technology systems pay three, four, five fold um, from the healing resources aspect, right? So instead of a body, you spend that same amount on systems, which is a lot of money if you're talking about what kind of bodies we've got here, right. then we really see that uh, help grow in it doesn't all have to be AI, and we don't have to be on the on the kind of the cutting edge of some of these technologies. That having systems that talk to each other or unifying systems really help the data, which helps you show contribution and value, which helps you actually get more budget. Um, because if we can show that we are as a as a partnering team and through the partner programs contributing to the corporate goals generate revenue, generate revenue, generate revenue, generate pipeline, then, then, then oh, we're certainly showing that value and, and usually getting more money to go after those and continuing to get that leverage, which is quite literally the definition of partnering is leverage. Well, can I think this is a great place to wrap it up? Because if they can't do that, I think, Diane, this is where you can come along and help. If they can't justify it, I can't tell you how many situations where I've been in where automation would have been really good and they could help, but they couldn't get the IT resources. Or they, I didn't, it wasn't even the budget for, say, someone's software platform, whether it's mine or somebody else's. It was the internal resources and even the IT to get it implemented. People have got to figure out how to sell that so that they can get that in there. Right. And certainly outsourcing even implementations and being able to work around IT or being able to work with IT and have, have consultants that help implement and install and even run your types of systems can, can show in a pretty big ROI fairly quickly, which then gets um, IT on board. And IT doesn't, is, they don't, it's not that they will want to play. They just have other priorities on their list. And our partnering tools aren't always the number one priority on their list, but that doesn't mean that we should sit there and, and say, oh, okay, go implement that great, that great big ERP system uh, or that big huge CRM system and we'll wait for three years. That we, we as a partnering teams need to fight a lot faster because we have to do more with less. Okay. So Diane, thank you for joining us and What's the best way for people to reach you so that you can share some of that wisdom and help people figure out how do they how do they make this happen? How do they get the budgets? How do they get it through internally? So well, so how can people yeah. reach you? Certainly easy way to reach us is you know, the partner hyphen is the website. Um, so there is a little hyphen in there. And it's dcracora at partner hyphen path.com as well and, and linkedin and you know kind of all the standard social media aspects if you can google you can probably find us fantastic once again diane thanks for spending a few minutes with us listeners and viewers thank you for taking some time hey everybody have a great day